Welcome to part two of my podcast, More to Explore with Charles Barkley. As you might expect, Charles has a lot to say about a multitude of topics, and that includes race and why two close friends, Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan, are friends no more. Here is part two of Charles Barkley, More to Explore. You go to Auburn University, 480 black students in a school of over 18,000 undergraduates. Yeah. Was that a real problem? I guess it was. It wasn't a problem. It was not a problem. It wasn't a problem because all 400 and some people, they were jocks. So I'm with them most of the time. Uh, I'm trying to do a much better job with that. I have done a lot in the last 30 years, but I'm going to keep doing more. But you don't even realize how segregated the school is because you're with the black students all the time. And uh, we got to do a much better because I think now we got like 30,000 students and less than 5%. And I want to know what percentage of those are jocks. So you don't feel out of place. So you're saying it's not all that different today than it was when you were there at least. Population-wise. Right. It, it should be 10 to 15% higher. 12, 15%. Yeah, at yeah. least that high. But it's a great school. It's very difficult academically, and it's very expensive, just like all colleges, in fairness. So I've been trying to do a lot. I start a professor program there, uh, and I, I, I've been giving them tons and tons of money to recruit black kids, and I need to keep doing more. But to answer your original question, you don't feel segregation at those schools because you're in a dorm. First of all, you see all your teammates every day. You're with them most of the time. And then you're in a dorm, dorm with the football players. Right. But when you're playing a game, and this has always struck me, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm worried that my perspective is, um, I don't know, maybe filled with implicit bias. I don't know. I mean, we all fall victim to that occasionally. Um, you got, you know, you've got 9,000 white students mm-hmm. in, in the arena yeah. watching you play basketball and cheering and loving you yeah. and, you know, just feeling all kinds of pride and passion because of these black kids who are playing basketball. Yeah. When the game is over and, you know, you're out and about on the quad, do they show you love and passion? See, then? I, 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 first of all, you, what you said was amazing because I've always said this. I wish that white America treated other black folks like they do black jocks. I, I really, I, I've said that many times. I wish that white America would treat regular black folks like they do jocks. There is, you have to really watch it yourself. As a, as a famous black person, because I don't get treated like normal black people. I was going to ask you, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. I was going to ask you if you, uh-huh. a, uh, an extraordinarily well-known, beloved, wealthy black man ever feels the sting of prejudice or microaggressions or implicit bias do you 100 percent. you do like when i when i see a story on television it hurts me because you say to yourself 
man, if I wasn't me, that could be me. Any type of racism. But the way people interact with you. They don't treat me like normal black people. They're nice and kind, considerate. But I, that, but I have to make sure in my head, like, okay, if you see racism, you say something about it. Like, even if it's against another religion uh, or another race. But I, 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 I can't get on here, because that'd be disingenuous, say, I'm treated like normal black people. That's, that's, that's like, I'll give an example. Um, cops don't always give me tickets. <laughs> cops don't always give me tickets. If they do, I don't go crazy. I might have been speeding. But they don't always give me a ticket. Uh, but I'm pretty sure um, Bryce Harper, uh, I'm trying to think who else, Jalen Hurts, uh, Nick Sirianni. I don't you don't think th- they get tickets either? I don't think they get tickets all the time they're speeding. So I think it's very difficult as a, as a celebrity to think that you're treated like everybody else because you you're not black white Asian it, it doesn't don't even matter. matter you're treat even if you uh, let's say you're Jewish if you're a famous Jewish person most people aren't anti-semitic toward you they, they're like it's kind of oh I, I'll give a perfect example this is a perfect example uh, in Spike Lee movie do the right thing when the pizza uh, pizza owner say he hated black people. And he said, and Spike was saying to him, like, wait a minute, who's your favorite musician? He says, Michael Jackson. Well, he said, who's your favorite basketball player? He says, Magic Johnson. He said, they're black. He said, well, they're different. A lot of people who are racist, they think that. That's actually their mindset. Like, well, Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, they're not black. And the one thing we have to do is make sure we keep everything in perspective. You have um, I don't, you haven't criticized, but people have criticized Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan for not speaking out as much as some people would like against racial injustice. I look at it different from my perspective because I'm do you, from. Do you agree with that? I do. Oh, I heard it for my entire career. And they said, Charles will speak on it. I said, I said, yeah, but let me just tell you this. It's different for me because of where I grew up. I grew up 20 minutes from Birmingham where they bombed the church, mm-hmm. the Montgomery boycott, mm-hmm. the Selma Bridge massacre. So that stuff, my grandmother talked about it all the time and made me study it when I got old enough to understand it. I don't get mad at guys. It's a personal choice. Uh, it's a personal choice. You know, they said the same thing about Kobe, rest in peace, one of the best to ever do it. I don't think you can force people to speak if they don't want to speak. Now, should they? It depends on the subject. See, the one thing I try to do and the one thing I'm really good at, you you can't cry wolf all the time. Because if every time something happened and you're screaming, that's racism, that's racism, 
Like, wait a minute. First of all, I don't think that's racism, but I'm very selective on things. Like, because people get sick. People get sick like, oh, he's the guy who's going to cry racism on everything that happened. Like, sometimes the joke is just a joke. <laughs> you know, sometimes when something happened, it's not racism. So the one thing I try to be really good at is I don't speak on everything that happens. I try to be very selective. I, I said, well, this is important. I want to talk about this. And TNT has given me the flexibility. Mm-hmm. They've given us the flexibility. But, you know, Kenny says we owe Charles a lot when it comes to talking about racism and things like that because we never talked about that before we got here. But when I told them when I took the job, I says, I promise I won't be the guy who cry wolf all the time because that's not fair to you guys. I said, but if something happened, can we talk about it? And it's actually made our show better. But the one thing you don't want to be, you know, sometimes it ain't always racism. It's not. But you have called racism the worst cancer on you know American society, it is it, to, to dislike somebody because their race is just wrong. Period. Like you can't justify it. Like saying saying I don't like white people, I don't like black people, I don't like Jewish people. You sound like an idiot when you say that. I mean, anybody who says that, you just sound like a fool. Like, we're to, 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 to dislike an entire race, and we all got fools in our races. Let's get that out the way. We all got fools in our races. But to, to, to use the statement, I don't like an ethnic group, come on, man. That, that you, you, number one, not only you're wrong, you just sound stupid if you say that. Sometimes black and white really means rich and poor. Well, and see, that's how I'm so glad you said that because my thing has always been we spend so much time talking about race. Economic racism is the biggest problem we have in this country. Yeah, do we have racism? 100% we have racism. But economic racism is the worst thing we have going on in this country because what happens is poor people – it's kind of like baseball. I use this analogy when I'm speaking to crowds. I says, if you go to a baseball game and the guy gets to the plate and he starts out 0-2, yeah, a couple guys, Charles Barkley going to get a hit, Michael Jordan going to get a hit, but if you put people in bad neighborhoods and send them to inferior schools, they're at a huge disadvantage, a huge disadvantage. And I wish we would spend more time talking about that Ten, ten, ten. Talking about racism, economic is the the biggest problem we have in this country. You have said that uh, we have the uh, worst educational system uh, because private schools have destroyed uh, America's system of education. What did you mean by that? Well, rich people did a couple things. They started charter schools, and they started private schools. And they left the public school system to fend for itself. So one of the greatest travesties of this country is what it costs to go to college. It's not right. It's not fair. But rich people, they're like, well, 
I don't want my kids going to school here or there. So they built suburbs, not hating on that, but they got the best schools. They got charter schools and the best schools. So not only are their kids smarter, they can also, they, they pivoted to more scholarships and things like that. So that, that's what I said. And, and, and I got the public school system in this country is a disgrace and a trap. And we're the greatest country in the world. We're the greatest country in the world by far. How do you fix it, Charles? <laughs> you know, rich people ain't giving their stuff back. And I'm not mad at them uh, because they work hard, too. The only thing I asked them is to acknowledge they had an advantage, saying I did have a huge advantage. Like, I'll give you an example. I think, I can't remember right offhand, but I think it cost like $60,000 for my daughter to go to Villanova. How many people can actually afford that? My daughter's a great student. She ended up going to Columbia, and that was like $90,000 a year. How many people can actually afford $90,000 a year? That's my alma mater, so be careful. Yeah. I know, but I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, I guarantee, no, 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 I understand. Hey, I course. guarantee you when you weren't there, it wasn't 90000 It sure wasn't. <laughs> but one of my, my boss um, at Turner, he got twins. He got twins, a boy and a girl. They went to Columbia because he went there. He said, we all, because I talk to him a lot. He says, man, I'm paying $180,000 a year, just tuition. I, see, I said, you know what? That ain't fair. Because there's probably some kids out there who are poor, who will go do great at Villanova, Columbia, schools like that. Got zero chance of going. Well, in all fairness, these what you call elite schools um, do have massive financial aid programs for not merit, yeah. not athletic, but what they call need-based yeah. financial aid programs. So, But a lot of those kids don't even know that's possible. That's yeah. exactly right. Uh, a lot of kids in underserved communities mm -hmm. think, I can't afford those schools, even if they are academically deserving. Yeah. And they have no idea that these financial aid programs exist. Yeah. And someone has to be able to tell them, and that someone are the guidance counselors in those public schools. Someone has to be able yeah. to tell them, no, 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 mm -hmm. these schools are, are attainable for you. Mm -hmm. And that message isn't getting through to a lot of underserved students. Uh, and I think one of the reasons our teachers aren't treated good, we don't treat our, we don't, we don't treat our teachers good at all. Um, we need to pay our teachers better. We need to make sure they're safer. Because I can see how you can get in a rut mentally if you're not appreciated. Because uh, now, you know, you, you can't even talk to kids anymore. I mean, I'm old school. You can spank them. You can't even do that anymore. And some of these kids have zero respect for teachers. And if the teachers do anything to them, the teachers are the one that end up getting in trouble. And that's not right, and that's not fair. Can we talk about some friendships that went south? Yes, of course. Um, so at one point, Michael Jordan was your best friend or one of your very closest friends? One of my best friends. And um, you guys haven't spoken in years. What happened? I said that Michael was not going to be successful because, you know, he, he struggled as the owner, uh, as the owner yeah. running an NBA team, I said, "Well, Michael's never going to be successful. He don't hire good people around him. Uh, he got his friends who don't know what they're doing, 
and they're not going to disagree with Michael Jordan. And he went ballistic. He called me. He said, I saw what you said. And he, <laughs> he was going ballistic. And I said, Michael, how can I criticize other people if I can't criticize my best friend? I criticize other guys. You know the one thing I hate about this whole thing, to be honest with you? Guys never call me when I say good stuff about them. I say, and that's the, probably one, the thing that sucks the most about my job, to be honest with you. I can say 10 things about a guy. They never called me and said, Chuck, thank you for saying something nice about me. I say one bad thing. They call me. The agent calls me. And I say, yo, man, why don't you ever call me when I say good stuff about you? Do you hear from dozens of NBA players yes. now and their agents? It's oh, like yeah. a constant, uh, you know, cascade of, oh. co- of comments. Every week. Yeah. But like, get back to the Michael okay. Jordan thing. So uh, he, he called me and he cursed me out really bad. And we haven't spoken since then. It's probably been close to 10 years now. But I'm going to do my job. I can't, like I say, I don't think any coach, player, general manager ever came to me and says, Charles was unfair what he said about me. And Michael does not, he don't have the right, because he wasn't good at his job. And I can't get on TV. I lose, remember I said something earlier about I hate reporters who you can tell they like a guy and a guy they dislike. I need to keep my credibility, like, you might not like what Chuck has to say, but he's going to be fair. I mean, and I truly take that to heart. I'm going to be fair to all the guys. So, you know, Michael Jordan just suffered from an abundance of pride bordering on arrogance, bordering on hubris, or, or what's, what's the problem? Well, I think when you're as great as We're he, all criticized at one point or another. Yeah, but I think that when you're that great, you, like— you think people are disposable. The hardest thing with fame is surrounding yourself with people you can trust who are going to be honest with you. Because everybody's kissing your ass. Everybody's on the payroll. Very few people are going to be honest with you. I mean, the one thing I'm really good at is, yo, man, if I'm doing something stupid, tell me. If I'm doing something wrong, tell me. And but like I say, because <laughs> we all, we had this joke. Well, well, you're gonna be on my private jet. I'm gonna buy the meals. I'm gonna buy the drinks. Let's don't screw this up. My friends said it all the time. I said, yeah, but that doesn't mean you, if I'm doing something stupid, you can't tell me not to do it. So I said that about Michael, and he got mad. But you know, like I say, I felt good about my criticism, and I thought it was fair. It's never uh, occurred to you. Well, I'm sure it's occurred to you. That's that's dumb. Uh, you have never called him to try to patch the relationship. Because I didn't think I did anything wrong. Because if, if if I call him, he would feel like, oh, he was wrong. He called him he to was, apologize. He was exonerated. He, he should call him and me and apologize to me, to be honest with you. So that that difference and and the sort of standing on, not standing on ceremony, but what the first call means, um, that was more important than the friendship then, is what you're saying. To him, to him, the friendship wasn't worth it. But I will say that if Michael called me tomorrow, I would say, hey, man, it's all good. We had a bad moment. We're good. 
and the friendship resumes the way it did or not really? Uh, that's a great question. That's hard, a, hard, like, hard I to forget 10 years of... I don't. Uh, well, but the thing is, though, we haven't talked in 10 years. So it, like, it ain't like we had a... Like, he called me that one time cursing me out, and then we haven't talked. And so it won't be like, yo, man, you went at me hard like several times and you disrespected me all these times. I was like, we literally have not talked since that one conversation. Tiger Woods. And and you wrote a whole chapter in in your book about Tiger Woods, and and you spoke about him – profoundly, uh, you know, in a positive way. Uh, but you also said once that it wasn't that much fun being around him. That, he, that the, people, the people around him were kind of uptight. Yeah. And uh, and he may have taken offense to that because after the accident in 2009. No, I don't think he took offense to that. I, first of all, Tiger's a nerd, number one. He, he, he was weird. When I say weird, like, yo, man, relax. We don't want anything from you. Like, I can understand a celebrity when you're out in public. You, you're like, especially his level. I'm not on his level. Like, you don't relax around strangers. But when you're around the guys, like, yo, man, we're all famous too. You can relax. We don't want anything. But that whole relationship was so weird because none of us have talked to him since the night of the accident. We don't know what happened. We thought, honestly, uh, that she said, you got to get rid of all your friends. But then when they got a divorce, we thought he'd be like, hey, man. Because uh, like, if his wife had said, hey, your old friends got to go, like, hey, man, you handle your wife, you're good, do your thing. But when they got the divorce, we thought he would come back. But not a single one of us. Who is we? Uh, me, uh, Michael, uh, Roy Green, Vince Coleman. These guys, you know, me and Michael were the only two went to his wedding. But these guys, we played golf with him all the time. Uh, we would go to Vegas to, to gamble and play golf all the time. He'd come to the house and we'd play golf. We'd go visit him in Florida. But we have not seen him one time since the night of the accident. And, of course, the... Uh you know, not the myth of, of Tiger Woods, but what everybody seems to be saying is that over the last number of years, he has relaxed, he's lightened up, he communicates much more with other folks on the tour, he's now assistant captains of Ryder Cup teams and President Cups, and that he seems to be a nicer guy. You think that's true? I think he is. I think he has relaxed and become a nicer guy. But my question would be, was that because he's not as good as golf, as good as golf? Uh, so that would be my only question. He seems like he's more at peace and he's friendly to everybody. But my first question would be, is he only nice to everybody because he can't beat him at golf anymore? Interesting. Um, can I ask you how much money you lost in Las Vegas? Or would you prefer not to tell I don't me? even know the number. It's a lot. <laughs> I know it's a lot. Oh. Uh, Ten million, easily. Easily. Yeah. What might it be? Probably closer to twenty. I mean, I don't lose all the time. I've won millions. I wouldn't know. You know, that's a let, great let, question. Let's look at the net result. <laughs> uh, honestly, 
And believe, I'm not judging. When I say that, it sounds judgmental. No, no, no. I don't I, mean no, no. that's I love my to, fault. I love to gamble. It's fun. I go out to Valley Forge. I actually went out there uh, Saturday night to watch the fight. Um, it's somewhere probably, that's a good question. I don't know, but it's probably close to $20 million. But yet I have read that every dealer Every guy who comes around with the broom and the dustpan, <laughs> every uh, pit boss yeah. loves it when Charles Barkley comes to town because you are as generous in your gratuities and just, you know, making people feel good as anyone that's ever stepped foot in that city. I think it's important for me to tip the dealers and the people who clean the casino because this going to sound stupid. The money don't matter to me, it matters to them. Because I think I got enough money, <laughs> I think I do, but I love to make them feel special because that's they need the money. Uh, and anytime I can brighten their day, I'm gonna give them a nice tip. Anybody who cleaning some there, the waitress who bring me a drink, or the dealer, because the money matters to them. Like I say, I don't want to sound like an ass, but the money don't mean that much to me. Uh, you know, I've been, so it's so crazy. I made a lot of money since 1984, 85, and way more than I deserve, to be honest with you, way more than I deserve. Uh, this whole thing has been so amazing to me. Um, lucky, blessed. Jesse Jackson once told you that he's worried that the wealthiest folks in the black world, as he put it, are communicating the wrong message. Now, you're a wealthy person in the black world. What's the right message? You know, that's a... I never worry about that because I don't think I do that. I mean, I, as you see, when you, you saw me drive up, I'm in a Ford Bronco. I got a Ford Bronco here, and I got a Kia in Arizona. I promised my grandmother I wouldn't have a bunch of cars, a bunch of jewelry, and things like that. Now, the guys who do that, that's them. I don't think they're wrong. Listen, you work your behind off, you make a lot of money. If you want a nice car that costs First of all, I think it's stupid. But if you want to buy a Bentley that costs four or five hundred thousand dollars, it's stupid. But if you want to do it, it's your money. I don't wear jewelry. Um, I wear a watch. I don't wear any jewelry. But I don't think it's right for Rem Jackson. Like I, I, number one, I don't like the guys doing it. But when he said that wealthy blacks were saying the wrong message, what was he referring to? What was the well, wrong just, message? All the gaudy stuff. That's my. That's what I think. All the gaudy stuff. I mean, when you see guys got four or five cars, you know, got like when I see a lot of these guys who you can just tell they got like probably five hundred thousand to a million dollars worth of necklaces on. That's the stupidest thing in the world. Uh, so I don't ever want to give off that message. It's so funny, you know. Anytime I go speak to kids, what kind of car you got? I'm like, yo, man, I got a Ford Expedition. They're like, you ain't got no Mercedes, Bentley, 
what? No Jaguar? I said, yo, man, you asked, I answered your question. So I think that, and like I say, I don't ever wear a, a I, you know, I, I collect watches, but this is a Michael Kors watch. It's cheap, but it tells the same time as a Rolex or a Cartier. So I think that's what Reverend Jackson was talking about. You know, hey, listen, and I know I don't know if that's fair for him to express it like that because if somebody want to do what they want, you can do what you want to with your money, and it ain't up to us to say, man, why you spend all that money on a car? Now, if you go broke, you look like an idiot. Kay Ivey is the current governor of Alabama. The next election is in 2026. You know as well as I that there are some folks in this world who who say Charles Barkley should run for governor of Alabama, and there are other folks in this world who say, yeah, I think Charles Barkley is going to run for governor of Alabama. Is there any possibility, and I mean just the slightest possibility, that Charles Barkley might ever run for governor of Alabama? Zero. I figured out, it took me a while to figure it out because until you do your homework and study, you have to realize, man, both of these parties are awful. Both of these parties are awful. And I actually, believe it or not, I met with both parties uh, in two or three elections ago. And then I, me and my group like, yo, man, these people ain't no good. These people ain't no good. America, we're just people in a chess game that we don't even know we're in. They're just moving us around. And we're like, well, if I vote Republican, they're going to do this for me. No, they're not. If I vote Democratic, they're going to do this for me. No, they're not. I don't want to go. I, I think I can do more good just using my name and my voice for different causes and things like that. Uh, it's really important for me to do good stuff because, like I say, I've gotten more out of life than I deserved, way more. But I'm not going to go to work and argue with people. Anybody who watches this television thing every day and says, oh, imagine that Republicans and Democrats disagree on every subject. There's not a single person in this world I could meet. Not a single person in this world I could meet where we disagree on every subject. That's physically impossible. But our politicians have made it. You have to get every vote this way. Or every vote this way. I'm like, that's crazy. That's not one thing that you can't. You got to go along. It's like like you see right now with the Trump thing and the Biden thing. Like the Democrats defend Biden, the Republicans to, to defend Trump. I'm like, well, they both seem like they both did a bunch of shady stuff. When you say Biden, are you referring the son, to son Hunter Hunter Biden? Yeah, and um, I. This stuff is just so bad. I just, I, I really feel bad for the people because let's be honest. I ain't gonna get on here and tell you it matters to me who the president is. That's a lie. I don't care who the president is, but I just feel bad for the American people that we have to deal with all this nonsense. You know, the American people want some things. They want a good job. They want safe neighborhoods. They want a good economy. I think that's what they want. They don't want to know who's getting indicted. They don't want politicians' sons making hundreds of millions of dollars using his father's name. We don't want. We don't want that. I think most people are like yo, man. 
I want a good school for my kids. I want a nice house. I want a good job. That's what America wants. Charles Barkley, thanks for giving me your time, your generosity, your wisdom, and I've had a great time talking to you. Thank well, you. Well, when, when, when you first reached out, you know how much respect I have for you. It's been an honor and a privilege. I want to tell you this. When I got here, you became my news guy. You know, and I, and I, I want to follow in your footsteps. What I mean by that is, hey, when you turn on the TV, this guy's going to be great. He's going to be professional. He's not got, doesn't have a hidden agenda. And if you can turn on your television, especially today, especially today and get that, man, you winning. So thank you. Thank you. I had a suspicion that my time with Charles Barkley would move past the funny stuff pretty quickly and instead focus on his serious thoughts about life, his and ours. I'm glad it turned out that way. And I want you to know something. As Charles Barkley moved around the 6ABC building in Philadelphia, where this was recorded, he stopped to talk to everyone he encountered. He would say, I'm Charles. What's your name? And he asked them about their work and gave everybody the impression that he was truly interested in what they had to say. I have no doubt that he was. Charles Barkley at 60. Truly a different kind of guy. This podcast is a production of Jim Gardner Productions and 6ABC. This episode was produced and edited by Matteo Iadonisi and me. If you enjoyed our conversation with Charles Barkley, please subscribe to my podcast, More to Explore. There certainly is. I'm Jim Gardner.